Welcome to the School of Travel's podcast. I'm your host, Becky Gillespie, and each week I bring you stories of how travel can truly change your life if you take the chance to get out on the road and step out of your comfort zone. My guests also share travel tips and lessons they've learned along the way, which I hope inspires you to let travel be your teacher. Hello, listeners. I am so excited to be back with some brand new episodes for you after a period of travel after Christmas and into the beginning of February. I am now rooted and staying in Buenos Aires, Argentina for the next two months. So I look forward to catching up and putting out a lot of new episodes for you, as well as doing new interviews, which I always love. This week, I'm very excited to bring you my interview with Mike LaRosa, founder of Coworkaholic.com and co-working consultant extraordinaire, which you will hear him explain more about in our interview together. Also, I often give you a bit of a heads up about the sound. I actually interviewed Mike on a rooftop in Trivandrum, India, which was the last stop on the Rickshaw Challenge, which Mike and I both were a part of, and actually we met on the Rickshaw Challenge. I will have a separate episode about the Rickshaw Challenge very soon. It was definitely one of the most memorable journeys I've ever taken, but I hope that you enjoy my interview with Mike and all that he has to share about co-working and also making the best strategy for using and gaining miles for future flights that you need to take. Mike is very good at this. So without further ado, here is Mike. Welcome to episode 12 of the School of Travels podcast. And today I am here with Mike LaRosa, the founder of Coworkaholic. Yes. Yeah, who I have just met on the Rickshaw Challenge, which we have just finished here in Trivandrum, Kerala, India. I'm impressed that you can actually pronounce that and I've been butchering it. I, I just, everyone's like, where are you going? I'm like, airport code TRV. <laughs> well, because there's two ways that they spell it. One's, I guess, a shorter, to, was it Trivandrum? Yes, okay, yeah. Trivandrum. And the other one I can't pronounce, so oh, I skipped it. Yeah. <laughs> but no, we're fresh off a thousand kilometers. Yeah. Ten days. It's day been, by day It's been by an day. adventure. It has. Yeah. And finally we finished, not without a few scrapes and cuts and breakdowns and... Breakdowns. Were there tears on your side? We didn't cry in our rickshaw, but... There were no tears. Uh, there was definitely some tense moments and uh, a lot of German curse words because I was with a, a German and an Austrian, so... Uh, yeah, learned, uh, added some uh, German to my vocabulary for sure. <laughs> <laughs> well, either way, congratulations on finishing. You too. Thank you. Alive. Alive, just yes. With one, just with one scrape. One scrape. I've got a scrape on my right knee after the very last day crashing and rolling the rickshaw with my partner, Peter, who was driving. He's a, the loveliest Australian you'll ever meet, but he, I don't, I don't know, out of nowhere we rolled. So now we're here. Yeah. And we're ready to roll into our next adventure. Yeah. But Mike, can you tell me a bit about yourself? Because I've just met you here this week, so yeah. there's a lot so, I don't know. Um, I am a co-workaholic. I'm obsessed with co-working. Um, uh, I grew up in D.C. Uh, and lived my entire life in D.C. Even went to college in, in the district, in the city. And I kind of followed that typical path that a millennial kind of gets put into right you like everyone has to go to college whether or not you know what you want to do and you finish college and you're supposed to get a job and 
I should have graduated in 07. Um, my parents, I'm very grateful. They paid for my education. But the day my dad and my mom dropped me off, freshman year, you know, like first day moving, my dad looked at me and he goes, you have four years. We're paying for four years. You take longer than that and it's on you. That's exactly what my parents said. So I went to two summer schools to finish. And they paid for summer school because it was in the four years. Ah. They paid for half, I should say, but I was like on to that. I'm the polar opposite, right? So I did the seven year plan. So, um, I I mean, I had a a health issue at the end of sophomore year, uh, which was kind of a, uh, an ordeal. And I wasn't really happy with the school that I'd chosen. I was at Catholic university. Um, I'd been in Catholic school from kindergarten till high school. And so Catholic U was just more of like that private school, upper middle class bubble, right? And so I took a semester off to recuperate, was back at home with my folks, didn't really know what I was gonna do, Um, transferred to a public university, really enjoyed just kind of the openness of getting a full education that's not, you know, controlled by a a religious doctrine. Um, But it took me longer, so um, after four years, I was on my own. So I took a job at Starbucks because um, they had um, not the full-blown tuition reimbursement that they do now, but, you know, um, it makes sense. You can wake up early, work, and then go to classes later in the day. Um, and then, you know, I got out of Starbucks and got a typical job. Um, best compared to kind of Devil Wears Prada, the job a, a million girls would kill for, right? I mean, um, I was doing some cool stuff. I was producing events and working with executives and doing things at the time that I never thought I would have ever done um, as a store manager at Starbucks. At my time at Starbucks, I had worked up, you know, worked up the ranks, right? Um, by 21, I was a store manager, which is kind of unheard of um, in the company. And about 18 months in, I was like, I can't handle this. I can't, can't work at a cube, you know, the, the idea of a 95 was like everything I always wanted. And then it was kind of soul crushing to realize that it's not what it lives up to. Right. Um, so I quit, uh, worked for an event planning firm. And then I went back to the, the other job, the business journals. And then after about a year or so quit again, and that's when I went out on my own. Um, and I thought that I could be my own boss. Because um, both my parents own their own businesses. And my mom had a warehouse and an office. You know, she was a, a distributor, so she needed that warehouse space. But my dad worked from home. And, you know, he's worked from home for almost 30 years. And so I thought, well, if he could do it, I can do it too. Um, and I was lonely and I was isolated and I put on 40 pounds, you know. I always joke that, you know, I would watch all four hours of the Today Show. No one should watch all four hours of the Today Show. Um, and I say co-working saved my life because it, 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 it helped me realize I needed a routine, right? I needed to, like, get out of the bed, get to the gym. You know, the gym was on the way to the co-working space I ended up working out of. Can I stop you here just a yeah. second and ask you what co-work, or to describe what co-working is? Because I actually had people on this trip who have worked regular jobs. They're in their 50s, I would say, but they didn't know what it was. Yeah. So co-working is like this umbrella term, right? Like everyone's using it right now. It can apply to a bunch of different things. Basically, it, it's workspace on demand, 
right? So, uh, you know, in my consulting role now, we like to call space as a service. Sometimes you need space for productivity. Sometimes you need space for focus. Sometimes you need space for collaboration. And so anyone right now from a freelancer all the way to the corporate, you know, Fortune 500, they're putting employees in co-working spaces because they don't have to sign long-term leases. They can use them short-term, like on demand. They can have meetings or off-site retreats. Um, but yeah, it's a global phenomenon. You know, 10 years ago, maybe there were a couple hundred co-working spaces. And this year, data says that there's over 20,000 co-working spaces around the globe um, with over 1.3 million people working in them. Um, you know, Bali alone has like 20 of them now. You know, who would have thunk? Um, and so, yeah, so, you know, I, I discovered co-working for myself when a client I was working for was like, hey, you know, we're on the road a lot, producing events for clients like Google or the Smithsonian. We were always like on site, right? And um, we were working at a hotel lobby or we were working at a coffee shops. And, you know, in this one city, they were like, hey, let's go to uh, a co-working space. And I was like, wow, well, well co-working space, like that's... That's like if you want to be the next Uber, right? And when I got to this one in particular, it was in Kansas City, Missouri. A place you might not ever think would have a co-working space. Yeah, if you didn't know well, they had a couple it. at the time, and this was back in 2013. But it was full of freelancers and independent consultants. You know, like I'd been my own boss. I'd been able to find contracts. I'd contracted other people like myself. And we were all working remotely. But we were all struggling with, you know, either unstable Wi-Fi at the hotel loud, noisy coffee shops, you know, or just something that's a little bit more professional. So you'd be like, hey, client XYZ, meet me at a professional office, rather than be like, oh, let's try to grab a table at, you know, the, the local Starbucks. Um, so yes, that's, that's what co-working is. Okay. Yeah. And so that's what your, that's your main focus now. Is yeah, I mean, space. I, you know, being your own boss is not easy, right? Being a, whether it's a freelancer, whether you have a startup that you're looking to scale, whether you sell a product, you know, um, and uh, it's, it's it's stressful, it's lonely, because, you know, I think more and more people, especially in our generation, are disillusioned with that lifestyle that our parents grew up with. It just, it doesn't, it doesn't exist. You can't work for a company for 30 years anymore. Um, and more and more people are becoming contingent workers or, or third-party contractors. And so, for me, the aha moment was, okay, I've screwed up being my own boss in many ways, and so if I've been able to do it for, you know, now I'm going on seven years, um, but at the time when I saw these co-working spaces, I was like, well, if I can do that here, there's a lot of other people that can do that that just don't know about it. And so that's what really kind of set off my crazy pursuit of learning more about the industry, studying it, researching it. Um, you know, it's kind of like one of those weird, you know, um, I'd gone from working for Starbucks, which is food service, but hospitality, but it's also very community oriented. A lot of those stores have locals and they all get to know each other and they get to know the staff. Um, so I had that experience. And then I'd also produced events for you know, a division of Condé Nast and Google and Smithsonian and Living Social. And then when I got to co-working, it's kind of a combination. Like, 
when you run a co-working space or when you open one, you have to be hospitable, you have to be customer service oriented, um, but you also have to do a ton of events. It's, it's the primary marketing tool to bring people in the door to promote your space or to provide opportunities for members to engage and connect. Um, and so, uh, you know, within 18 months, I sold my event planning firm and I started traveling the world. Um, I was producing some co-working industry events just because I had that experience. The people I'd met didn't know what they were doing from a conference organization standpoint. Mm -hmm. So that really kind of spurred up the travel. Right. Um, but had you traveled much internationally before you got into this part of a, your I've business? I've done like school trips, okay. right? So I'm, I'm an only child. Both, like I said, both my parents own their own businesses. So vacations for us um, were road trips back to New York where all of our family lived, right? Or it was wherever the conference was for either of my parents' industries. Mm -hmm. So we would pad an extra day or two at like Virginia Beach or, you know, somewhere, you know, maybe Dewey, Delaware, right? You know, we'd go to the conference, either my mom or my dad would go work the trade show floor, whatever they had to do. And then maybe we'd have a day or two extra, right? Did you do any study abroad in those first four years? That I didn't do maybe no, would have helped I didn't. you. Okay. But my parents, you know, they sacrificed. You know, they um, not only put me into private education, but they sent me to um, a couple international trips, right? Um, through the school, my school, and through the church. So it was always kind of your typical, you know, group tour, right? Where you know, you're not really planning anything, you're not on your own itinerary, but, you know, I'd been to Europe, you know, I'd um, been to Asia, so, like, you know, there had been a little bit of travel, but nothing to the extent of what I do now. And I know now you also know a whole lot about the points and the miles systems of all these different yeah. airlines, and you have your own podcasts about them as well, you're helping. Yeah, them, I produce so. a podcast, so, um, yeah, so, you know, Coworkaholics, a blog, that I started in 2015, and when I started it, I was really trying to focus on the industry. Um, and I realized that it was a really small market, and there were already some blogs out there that talked about industry news, and it was a little navel-gazing, and it was a little, like, too insider, right? And so over the course of, you know, you know, random contracts and working on events and working in co-working spaces, um, I met a, a guy who's become a really great friend of mine and a, a travel mentor. Um, and he's a gentleman who, um, you know, has a variety of different responsibilities um, as it relates to managing uh, an investment portfolio. But he lives on the road, uh, mainly domestic in the U.S. But he's been blogging for 10 years now. And his whole inspiration um, was I spend so much time away from my family, my wife and my two kids, that I need to figure out how to maximize award travel, right? Um, through earning, through flights, hotel stays, but also credit cards, so that the quality time he gets with his family, he can fly them anywhere in the world, business class, or, you know, and really enjoy the experience, rather than really kind of slugging it through economy for 12 hours at a time. Lots of long layovers and things yeah. like that. And so, you know, when I met Ed, um, I started reading his blog, Pizza in Motion. His last name is Pizzarello, but everyone calls him Ed Pizza. <laughs> and 
um, what really impressed me was like any hobby or like any like enthusiast community whether it be like comic-con or dungeons and dragons right whatever there's always kind of that aspect of pay it forward and so when we first met my travel was really starting to ramp up and he was like hey like how are you doing this like how are you traveling do you have a strategy behind it like are you attached to a loyalty program like what type of credit cards are you using for your business expenses um and it's really come in handy because for him it's a little bit of a different we always love comparing notes because we have very different travel right mm -hmm. um he does a little bit more expensive travel he works for the portfolio he's a partner so um it's a little bit different when it comes time to expenses for me as a freelance consultant now my primary job is consulting on co-working right so it's all fun and games when the, the contract signed right so when the client's flying you business class to dubai that's great but to get that contract i had to go to dubai right and so i didn't know if i was going to get it and so that's a i mean flying from the states to dubai you're usually can't find a ticket for less than $800. The hotels are not always cheap. Things are more expensive there, food and beverage. And so I learned how to take all of the earning and put it into like a little account so that that way I use it for trips when I'm not expensing it to the client. So if I have to go to a trade show or if I have to go to a conference to network to find new business, it's a lot less stressful when I'm not saying, oh, I have to figure out a way to make up this three, $4,000 investment. I can enjoy myself and a little bit be more relaxed and even close more deals. But I'm like, wow, you know, I flew here on only 60,000 miles round trip. I'm at the JW Marriott, you know, for 20,000 points a night. They upgraded me, so now I'm on the club level. I don't have to worry about buying meals. I can actually bring my client up to the club level and kind of, like, impress them because, you know, they can drink, they can eat. So um, that's really kind of how I fell in love with uh, figuring out how to make points and miles work for me. While we're on that subject, yeah. if you had to give three quick tips to people listening about how to really ramp up their participation in this whole miles yeah. world. What well, would you if I learned anything from Ed, the first thing is um, have a goal, right? And so if you know that you're trying to plan like a dream honeymoon, right? Then do a little research around like where you're hosting your wedding. Is it at a hotel? Well, then make sure that all of your, you know, spending is attached to your main hotel bill, which is attached to a hotel loyalty program, because you're going to earn points not just on the room that you're in, you're going to get some bonus points for all the rooms that your guests are staying in, and they're going to give you points for the overall spend for the catering. And then on top of that, find a credit card that works for you, that will earn points in a system that then you can transfer to any applicable airline. So there are people out there that their goal is just to earn points and miles for maybe two vacations a year. So they're earning and not necessarily burning immediately. For me, I kind of 
book it by where do I need to go for work that I'm not going to be able to expense that travel. And then I've got a goal in mind as to how much I need to earn. Um, and then I also burn it as quick as possible because a lot of people in the program world will say, like, it's great if you're sitting on a million points, but what happens if all of a sudden the program announces a devaluation? So you've got this goal in mind, and now the program's been devalued, and you've already kind of locked yourself into uh, an earning strategy that might not get you where you need to go. So I would say that that's the first thing. The second thing is also like have some plan. So booking the flight to India, I had an idea as to kind of how I needed to get here and where I was going. So I got, you know, a killer uh, Polaris, brand new Polaris, United Business Class seat from Newark to Bombay. It's a 15 hour flight. It retails for as much as $13,000. I flew for $380.94. I had a plan. I knew I had a global upgrade because I, I was the status member. I was stashing that global upgrade. It was the last one. It was burning all in my pocket. I knew I had some, uh, what they call ETC, electronic ticket certificates from when they bumped me from another flight. So I hadn't spent it. I was stashing it. And I knew I had to get from Mumbai to Chennai. So 8,000 United miles on Air India on a two-hour flight was perfect. Polar opposite of that, I didn't know where I was going after this trip. I just found out about two days ago. So it cost me way more in points and miles to get out of India to get back to LA for a work trip um, than if I would have booked it out maybe three months ago. So proper planning will give you more options um, and give you better buying and, and burning ability. Um, and then the third one is, you know, do what works for you. There are some people that are obsessed with Southwest Airlines. They get the companion pass, which means that anyone can fly with them for free, anytime, anywhere Southwest flies. That's awesome. If you're primarily a domestic uh, traveler or just do like Mexico or the Caribbean, Southwest might work for you. You have to fly a lot to get status with them in some cases, and you know they're very flyer friendly. But for some people, it doesn't work for them. A lot of my travels international. Southwest isn't the best airline for me. Um, I've been a Premier One K member of United Airlines. Um, I did a status match this past year to get Executive Platinum on American. Um, which meant that I only had to spend $4,000 in Premier Qualifying Dollars um, rather than 12000 And so just do what works for you. If you join some of those travel Facebook groups or you read those travel blogs, everyone's opinionated. They're like something else everyone has. You know, like, you know, opinions are, you know, everyone's got one. Um, but just do what works for you. Um, you know, some people only want to stay at Ritz-Carlton's. Other people are totally happy earning points with IHG and using them at Holiday Inns. You know, it's just know who you are and what you like and, and, and go with it. Do you have a favorite credit card? Like you said, everybody has an opinion. Yeah, so um, I try to be really careful with how I use credit cards. So um, I do share an Amex Platinum. Um, mainly because of the benefits you get 
even though there's got a high annual fee, um, it will cover your uh, cost of either clear or TSA pre-check. Um, I need to renew my global entry. It's been five years. They give you a credit, a statement credit for that. They'll give you a statement credit for Uber. Amex also has a really good uh, transfer program. So your their membership rewards points uh, will get you a lot of bang for your buck on a wide variety of airline uh, partners and networks. You can transfer Amex to pretty much any of the big three one World, Sky Team, or Star Alliance. So the other one I, I have had um, is the United Mileage Plus card because I was a United Flyer. I'll be more American Airlines this year. I'm not going to have as top status as I did with United. I might go back, um, but you know I got United Club Pass, United Club passes with that um, extra check bags before I got status, which you know you can save up to hundred dollars each flight. Um, you know, so those those were the main two that I had. Um, but to be honest, I'm kind of like, I'm not a credit card expert. I'm more about um, how to earn points through existing spend. So there's a lot of bloggers out there that know way more about credit cards. For me, it's like, I got 125,000 United Miles this past year just from renting Hertz rental cars which is I needed to rent car, rental cars anyway. So if I'm on the road a lot, I need to go to clients, we need, we need rental cars. I also did the math. That's $40 each way from my apartment to O'Hare um, on Lyft or Uber, right? I'm only usually home for two days. I can book Hertz rental cars for $18 a day. Uh, because I'm a Premier 1K on United, I'm top tier status matched on Hertz. So I'm not booking an $18 Toyota Corolla. I'm booking an $18 rental. I get the, my pick of the litter. So I'm driving Cadillacs, Infinities, Mercedes-Benz convertibles. They get to know me by name in Chicago. They'll give me upgrade. But that 120 or 30,000 United miles came in handy. You know, that was a couple free trips home to see my parents and my grandma. Um, it was a free trip to Puerto Vallarta for my annual trip down there for Thanksgiving and you know that's partly how I, I use my miles to get home from India starting tomorrow so my real passion is like if you're already spending money right um, another example is the United Mileage Plus portal mainly because I've been such a United Flyer I love Starbucks go to Starbucks every day when I'm in the States you get one one mile per dollar when you buy a Starbucks card through United. And so if I'm spending, I'm sad to say, a hundred or so dollars a month on Starbucks, that's about 1,200 United miles. You know, that's a tenth of the way to a one-way domestic ticket, um, just from going to Starbucks, right? So just being smart about how do you spend your money? And I try to make it a point that I, without relying on credit card, that I don't spend a dime unless I'm going to earn something somehow. Yeah. Fantastic. Yeah. yeah. I'm, I'm just hearing get something else for your money when you're already spending it. Yeah. I mean, you need. listen, like for anyone out there that's like saving up for travel or wants to travel as a, maybe a nomad needs to do it on the, bu on a budget. Um, you know, if you do 
have, you know, a daily expense like Starbucks, which a lot of us do, then, you know, sure, like, you can even stack it more, right? You can buy that Starbucks card through United's Mileage Plus X app, and you get even more miles if you pay for it on a United card. Um, the challenge, though, is credit cards carry interest. So you need to be prepared and you need to be able to pay that off monthly. If you're not paying your balance off monthly and you're paying 16, 17, 20% interest, the earning you're getting via points and miles doesn't really add up because you're spending a ton more on um, interest. Yeah. So, I mean, some people can do it and some people are a little bit more diligent. My favorite card in my wallet is the PayPal business debit card. You know, a lot of our clients will pay us electronically. We get better transfer tra or trans transaction fees on PayPal. It's a MasterCard debit card. It works around the world. It will pull directly out of your PayPal balance. And it's a card that never gets declined. So if you don't have that enough money in your PayPal balance, it will pull it out of a backup source bank account. Um, and the best part is I get 1% cash back. Yeah. So every month I'm getting 40 or 50 bucks extra refunded and just added to my account. Um, so that's really my favorite card to use, and that's the one I, I use the most. Yeah, get a strategy and make it work for you. Yeah, like, yeah. like there are so many strategies, right? I mean, um, so the podcast that Becky referenced earlier, it's called Miles to Go. Ed Pizza's the host of it. Um, there's a second podcast we launched called Now Boarding. Um, Ed's part of a, a, a network of bloggers called Boarding Area. And so if you're interested in travel, uh, besides subscribing to the School of Travels and subscribing to Miles to Go and Now Boarding, if you go to Boarding Area, they got bloggers from all, like, ends of the world, right? They got the luxury bloggers, they got the family bloggers, they got the deals bloggers, they got bloggers that focus only on the credit cards, they got the bloggers that focus on unique perspectives like single females or retirees. And so go there and try to find what kind of how you categorize yourself. And, you know, don't listen to all the outside noise because everyone will tell you what works for them. And what works for them, as with anything in life, is not going to necessarily work for you. So I've always found I pick and choose the tips that sound good to me based on my background, and then for sure get further and further as I fail and try to go another place and keep yeah. traveling. Yeah, I mean, there's guys on that site that are like super smart experts on Alaska Air now with the merger when they acquired uh, Virgin America. But I don't do a lot of West Coast business anymore, even though I am going to L.A. next week. And where I am in Chicago, there's not a lot of, lot of uh, routes on, on that uh, alliance or that, that airline. But it works for them, right? They earn it somewhere else. They apply it somewhere else. They move all the, the different accounts. Um, I would say that if you do get a credit card that's like, you know, Capital One really recently just opened the gates to be able to book on a lot more different uh, airline partners, right? Um, just do that research and make sure you sign up. You need to have those loyalty accounts with each of those airlines. 
in order to transfer. And you also need to plan accordingly because sometimes it takes up to two to three weeks, you know, and not every airline, depending on your status level, will hold it for you. Sometimes you make out and you get an agent that's like, sure, we'll put it on a complimentary hold. They know it might only take a couple days for those points to transfer. But sometimes you need to, you know, um, I was in a tough spot. I needed to move some uh, Marriott points over. It took about 10 days, right? And I was like, oh, it was a close call. So, plan, you know, fail to plan, plan to fail. Yeah, exactly. So, by the way, this episode is a whole new area of the School of Travels. Yeah. You know, you're, it's a whole different school of what you need to learn about when you start traveling. Yeah. Well, and I know nothing, like, I mean, if you think if that sounds smart, that's, like, 101. That's not even 101. That's Get in the like, boarding area. You're yeah, going to learn no, a lot no, yeah, more. Yeah, 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 most definitely. <laughs> Read like, up. Yeah, there's so well, much more out there. Hopefully you'll have Ed on, because, like, these people are amazing. And there's a lot of events out there, right? Like, uh, Frequent Traveler University, the Chicago Seminars, there's... Um, Award Travel 101 is this awesome Facebook group. It's run by a, a Navy vet who actually retired early from the Navy because he started Award Travel 101 as a Facebook group. There's over 55,000 people in it. It's now his full-time job. Wow. He makes a living, provides for a family with two kids, lives in Atlanta, and he does these really cool meetups, right? And they people meet up to geek out, share knowledge, and just, you know brag about the best uh, redemptions they got you know oh i flew in the new singapore suites and i only did it for this much it's People, like comic-con for travelers exactly yeah, there's something about there, enthusiast you know, trekkies comic-con stamp collectors <laughs> there's a, something for everyone out there well what is it about travel that keeps you going that just keeps you know making you so enthusiastic about helping other people join this kind of or i i don't want to say itinerant lifestyle but like being able to get out there, move around from co-working space to co-working space. So that's a tough answer because even this this last trip has been very trying, right? I mean, <laughs> yes. you know, a different hotel pretty much every single night, which is not different than my normal life, but in India, right? And, you <laughs> it's know, altogether different. Yeah, and I'm usually at a Marriott or Starwood or Hilton, and I know I've got really fast internet, I always have really good breakfast, and, you know, this has been a little bit different. I love travel because before I really started doing it extensively I had a really closed mindset and it was an Americanized, westernized capitalistic view on how the world worked and by going to these different co-working conferences and then starting to work on co-working projects and opening up spaces in places like you know Bali Dubai you know, working for clients in London, it really made me understand humanity better. It taught me patience, it taught me gratitude, and it also taught me, even though I'm doing a lot of talking right now, sometimes you just need to shut up, and you need to listen, and you just need to take in what's happening around you or what other people are saying. Um, and I think it's really changed the way that I, I view the world um, and where the world's going. You know, as more people can work remotely and as more people choose to work remotely, it's not just that they can. One of the biggest misconceptions about the Affordable Care Act also pretty much references Obamacare. The Congressional Budget Office had a statistic that basically said that there were going to be something like 2 million less 
jobs in the economy directly due to the Affordable Care Act. One party took that as a talking point that it was going to kill jobs. When in actuality, data has proven it's been more than 2 million jobs since the Affordable Care Act was passed. But it wasn't because they killed the jobs, it's because people quit the jobs. Because they weren't dependent, and this really applies to mainly Americans, because you know we're the only folks in the world that really don't have healthcare provided. They did it because they could finally afford a health insurance plan that was not directly tied to a soul-crushing nine-to-five cubicle-dwelling job. And so as more people choose to work for themselves, they're starting to discover the challenges of working from home. There are some days I really like working from home. Most days, I can't do it. I need to go to a space. I need to be around people, even if it's just to say hello over the, you know, the water cooler or to maybe grab lunch with someone. I've even gotten business deals. I worked out of a co-working space in D.C. The team that was next to me, I didn't really know who they were. They were just a little bit older than I thought they would be for shopping at what appeared to be Hot Topic. But they just so happened to have the number one internet radio station for pop punk. And one day, after six months of knowing each other, they were like, oh, our investor wants to talk to you. We're thinking about launching live events. It was Benji Madden. And so before you know it, now I'm flying to L.A. and I'm working for Benji and Joel Madden and the internet radio station that they've invested in because the people sitting next to me for the last six months, they got to know me. I didn't spend a single dime on business development costs. I didn't have to market to them. I didn't have to network them. And so that said, when you experience that, it's a little addictive. And then you start realizing, I can travel. I can go to these places, I can work remote, and so... You were doing work from the back of the rickshaw. Yeah, I mean, I, I published a blog post, I closed a deal the couple of days before, was negotiating on a contract, um, but the travel, like, I think as travel evolves and as technology evolves, there's more and more low-cost low carriers now, too. Every day in the news, we see round-trip flights to Spain for $200, you know, fly to Bali for 350 and so, if you are attuned, like, I, I can't imagine someone who wants to work remote, or does work remote, that is not someone plugged in to this travel world, because you're saving yourself money, and you're enabling yourself to go to places that you wouldn't have been able to otherwise. And you've got the freedom and the flexibility to do it. Like, I witnessed... We were in Baltimore, Maryland, right? Touring co-working spaces. And there were these two women in the kitchen. Um, you know, just kind of like what you do, having lunch. And one of them on their phone was like, Oh my God, we can... Like, there's this, like, air fair, right? We can fly business class on, you know, what just happened last week. Cathay, Cathay Pacific um, had $20,000 first class tickets to Vietnam for, like... 450 or 700 something cheap right they saw an airfare they booked the ticket right then and there they don't have to apply for vacation they don't have to wait for their manager to approve it so if you've got those miles in your account and there's a sale you can jump on it so 
I would say like if you want to work remote or be a digital nomad, having an understanding as to how the travel world works and you know, especially digital marketers, you're spending a ton of money on Facebook. You know, Chase Inc. codes Facebook advertising dollars a specific category, so you're earning like three times the points. You can go to Staples and Staples codes as office supply. Office supply gets you five times the earning on Chase Inc. cards. You could just be buying gift cards. But, you know, so, you know, I think if you want to be able to do it in a way that's not super painful, having that basic knowledge is really important. Right. So I think I'm learning from you here now and now that I just need to research a lot more about these little tricks. If I, even if I'm a person who hasn't done this ever before, you know, even if I am in the U.S. or just somewhere where I can just start spending my money in a wiser way to make it work towards travel. Yeah. And, and that's really what really got Coworkaholic to, to change. We pivoted. And instead of just talking about the coworking industry, I realized that there was a far larger audience out there that members of co-working spaces that want to know how they can travel better, cheaper, less painful, um, just by leveraging whatever type of spend they already have. And it's really, I think it's the people you meet when you're traveling as well. I mean, I met our friend in common, Matthias, who then has, has met you now. He's known you for, what, three years, I think. Yeah, I met him in 2015. Yeah. Yeah. And, and we met because of him, and it's it's all because of co-working when I went to his co-working space. So yeah. it's it, the people you can meet at these co-working spaces, um, it's amazing. And like you said, they're sitting next to you. Yeah. So you get to know them in a way that feels it's totally natural. It's a more organic yeah. way. And I think the re- – so I'm passionate about co-working for a couple different reasons. One is because – my dad's business, particularly, has not suffered, but um, as a distributor for medical equipment, he's starting to get competition from businesses like Amazon, right? Um, but he's also worked from home. So there's a little bit of a disconnect there, right? And there's a little bit of a, an isolation and a loneliness where maybe he's not in tune to certain opportunities you know, that could happen just through, there's a great term that people use called accelerated serendipity. The example I gave when I worked for Adobe Radio, that was accelerated serendipity, right? I had the skill set and the experience, they had the need, we sat next to each other, I didn't pitch them, they approached me, right? Having worked at Starbucks, I see how people operate. They show up to Starbucks, they put their headphones on, and they work on their laptops, they're not talking to anyone. It's also super awkward when you have to ask a total and complete stranger, hey, can you watch my, basically my life, my, my backpack is my life, can you watch this while I use the restroom? That's a little awkward. When you're at a co-working space, your guard's down. You're in a safe space. You can leave your computer at a, at, at a workstation and not be worried about someone running off with you. So be, because your guard is down, you're maybe more likely to strike up a conversation, right? Where you wouldn't want to talk to the crazy stranger next to you at that coffee shop. Um, I can tell you in, in uh, Chiang Mai, where I have been the last six weeks before this trip, there were people who would come in, put their, their life down, like you said, their bags, their computer, and they would leave for four hours and go out and about in the town and they, they could trust everybody in there. 
because you know there's there's a lot of security that the co-working spaces will put in action as well. Like we had fingerprint IDs to get back in. So yeah, it is, it's a it's much more comfortable in a co-working space if you've never thought or never tried it before. Yeah, um, but yeah, that 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 is everything that we love talking about at Coworkaholic. So. We do, you know, space reviews, so if you're going to a different city and you want to figure out, like, a space that we've been to, we'll give a really fair and honest, like, like, at the end of the day, what's most important, right? How's the Wi-Fi? How are some of the amenities? Is the staff helpful? And where's the location, right? Or is there parking, right? But it's also, like, flight deals or, you know, even ways to, so I did a whole blog piece last year on AT&T and T-Mobile. So I've been an AT&T customer forever. Spent way more money than I ever would like to admit on AT&T. I've got four or five lines for, you know, phones, tablets, and for a contractor or two, you know, phone. Instead of, you know, it's easier to save the contractor a phone for a project sometimes. But as I traveled more internationally, I was paying, like, you know, I'd be overseas for like four days and I'd get a bill that was like $600. All these internet, you know, international charges. And so I finally had it. I was like, I don't know what's better out there. I knew for a fact Verizon did not have a better international plan. Both of them have since changed to like day passes, but they're still kind of getting you no matter which way coming and going, they're going to get money out of you. T-Mobile though, I get international roaming for free to 140 countries and Netflix for free. So yeah, okay, so I'm saving 12 bucks a month on Netflix, whatever, but my bill's the same. So whether I'm going to four countries in one month or I'm going to no international countries in one month, my bill's the same rather than having these spikes of, you know, you know, one month my bill's like 1200 bucks or 18 so that's kind of the, some of the stuff that we try to share. Be like, hey, listen, being your own boss is tough enough. You want to make sure you're being diligent about how you spend your money. Um, you know, basically most of the posts are like, learn from how I've screwed up. <laughs> and, you know, take what I'm learning. And that's and it's really because of Ed, how he has inspired me. You know, he's helped me out countless times whether it was like giving me access to a paid subscription site to get a better perspective on what inventory was available, what I was trying to use when my one of my upgrade certificates, right? Um, he's even, you know, gifted me upgrade certificates um, or sat me down and, and showed me how to use a different card better. And, you know, it, it's just like anything with giving, you know, giving is just as great as receiving, you know? And so I had, a bunch of regional premiere upgrades that were going to expire that I knew I couldn't use. And so, you know, my niece just got married um, to a Marine who just got stationed in Hawaii. What a tough gig. And so they were traveling separately. She'd never traveled long haul before. The military was only going to cover an economy ticket. It only took two hours, but we sat down, we mapped out the best possible route for what the government was going to cover through her per premiere upgrade because I knew it was going to expire anyway, you know, and for about a thousand bucks, instead of flying coach from DC to Hawaii, she at least was able to fly first class, which, you know, as a, as a 20 year old, newly married, you know, excited, never having traveled 
that far ever, let alone alone. Not that you get that much be better service in first class, but you do. And, and they'll take better care of you in case, you know, your connections get delayed or whatever, right? And um, the joy of being able to help her out with that as a gift and just, you know, it, it made my day. So I'm a big believer in, you know, paying it forward. I think that's, you know, being generous with what you learn about travel and, and the, the memories that you've given her, like, just, it's so important and valuable in yeah. many, so many ways you don't even know. And yeah. that actually reminds me, I would love for you to talk just for a minute about what's on the back of your rickshaw, because I thought that was so yeah. beautiful, too. So, um, once again, not turn this into an Ed Pizza love fest, so uh, Matthias, who's our mutual friend, Becky, our, my mutual friend, back in, like, June, he was like, hey, there's this rickshaw thing. Um, it's going through India, but, like, we can make it our own. Like, why don't we go check out co-working spaces, you know? Because, like, I've been to over 500 spaces in, like, 30-something countries. I love checking out spaces. I love getting to know the owners and documenting them. And I was like, yeah, let's do it, right? So this was supposed to be, like, fun, adventurous way to spend the week between Christmas and New Year's, right? Just kind of chill out. Um, and in August of this year, um, after a pretty lengthy illness, um, a dear friend of mine in the co-working industry and a real standout, like, all-star in the global community, um, passed away suddenly. He had been diagnosed with cancer in September 2017, and, um, we thought that he was in remission at the beginning of 2018. Um, his name is Matija Rouse. He's from Zagreb, Croatia. And not only did he have one of the first co-working spaces in Croatia, he was one of the first people I ever met at my very first co-working conference in 2013. We hit it off. He was one of the first people to really kind of smack me down and provide me a European perspective on how the world worked, right? And helped me really open my eyes. So I was always forever grateful to him. I'd only see him once a year, but we talked all the time, right? We really got to know each other. So not only did he have this space in Croatia, but he also started the Coworking Croatia Alliance to try to get all these spaces together to work together and grow the industry. And he launched the European Freelance Week, right? So there's this week in October every year with probably like a couple hundred events and like 30 or 40 different cities throughout Europe. And it's to promote freelancers. And so a lot of them take place at co-working spaces, but he did a lot of work to get in with, you know, the EU parliament and try to set some, not rules and regulations, but some protections for when you work as a freelancer, right? There, there is a freelancer union, it's in the States, but they don't provide your traditional, like unionized protection, right? And so, um, right before he passed away, and it was quite sudden, um, it had come back and just things happened real fast, Ed told me, hey, I'm going to go to Disney World. And Ed and I, we really bonded over our love of Disney, right? He's got kids, so he's got a really good excuse to know all about how to save money at Disney, right? I'm going to be 34 in two weeks. I don't have any kids. I have no excuse for why I have an annual pass for Disney World, but I love it. And a group of my friends and I go every year for Food Wine Festival. So that's how we bonded. 
but he goes, I'm going to go to Walt Disney World, and there's this thing called the Parkeology Challenge. There's this whole blog dedicated to riding every single ride in all four theme parks in Orlando in one operational day. You have to tweet a photo with a specific hashtag. There's all these rules. Like, the blogosphere is quite fierce on protecting and, like, being sure everyone, you know, kind of follows instructions. And he goes, I'm going to do it to raise money. I want people to pledge a dollar, five dollars. Some people pledge, like, fifty dollars for every ride we can ride. There's, like, 48 total rides. There were 47 operational rides that day. He's so serious, he went down to do a dry run. <laughs> Between the dry run and the official day that he did it with Mommy Points from the Point Sky, um, he invited me to tag along, right? I was kind of like his social media guy, but also kind of like the bag carrier. I mean, it's aggressive, right? Like, we were up at like 5 a.m. We were at Rope Drop at two of the four parks, you know. We got 41 out of the 47 rides, which wasn't too bad. But he wanted to raise money for Make-A-Wish. So, you know, the number one most desired Make-A-Wish is to go to Disney World. And a lot of those kids have such physical challenges that there's an entire, they call it the, um, uh, I'm going to butcher this, I'm going to blank right now, but it's, it's called Give Kids the World. And it's a, it's a resort in Orlando that was opened by a local hotel owner. And all of them, they're pretty much villas that are all handicap accessible. And they have a lot of rides there for a lot of the kids that might not be able to do most of the rides at Disney. And they've got medical services and everything. So in, in one day, he raised uh, over $16,000, right? And so as this was all happening, and I was not part of the planning, but you know, helping him check in on the Disney app every day to figure out how we can get our fast passes and everything. Uh, Matias, uh, or um, Matia died. And it just kind of struck me to the core. It was a massive surprise. We had thought that he had been on the, the rebound. Um, and I realized that this trip was uh, not just a pleasure, but it was a privilege. And it felt death obviously has a way of making things feel frivolous and so what I decided to do was okay if we were already going to go to co-working spaces then I'm going to try to raise money um, for every space I can go to while doing this um, when Matia got sick um, if you're a freelancer and you have insurance it's one thing to know that your medical bills for the most part will be covered but you're not getting disability pay right and so within under a week his global community of cheerleaders and champions they raised fifty thousand dollars for him to help subsidize the money that he was losing from not being able to work i mean this was an aggressive form of cancer multiple rounds of chemo there was no way he was even going to be able to do his volunteer work, let alone aid work. And so the European co-working assembly, um, even though I'm not European based, I'm a, a supporter of them, we decided to establish an emergency relief fund 
in his name for freelancers um, and we are finally put it all together and very shortly we'll have enough funds to start so that if you're in a co-working space if you're not in a co-working space if you're a co-working owner if you hear of someone who is a freelancer and has a medical emergency um, we will have uh, a stipend available um, it's not going to be fifty thousand dollars for every person we'd like to provide maybe a thousand euro but a thousand euro is a thousand euro and it can help you pay rent for the first month right is there a place that people can go if they want to donate to this fund or is it yeah so right now you can go to coworkaholic.com i've got a blog post that's pinned to the top of the website we're also coworkaholic on facebook right um the donation page is on there and then if you're interested in learning more about Mattia himself um the hashtag is hashtag love Mattia and there's actually a website lovematia.com how do you spell Mattia Mattia is m-a-t-i-j-n-e okay i've seen that name many times this week and i yeah. wasn't an intuitive spelling for me so yeah so yeah, so you can you can find out more about him and about it's a, it's a brand new uh, fund that was established by the co-working the European co-working assembly. So this is the first fundraiser we've ever done, right? To get this up off the ground, and I wanted to use this as a example or as an inspiration that if you're a nomad or if you're a freelancer and if you're going on a trip and there's this been this new big movement of purposeful travel if you're looking for something to contribute to um, sometimes it's you know a specific foundation or nonprofit on behalf of someone who had a spe specific illness or disease you know um, my best friend who does the Disney trips with us every year you know she's our conductor right she organizes it her mom and her aunt work at Disney so she gets to the, the reduced rate rooms this year, she was, um, within two days of Mattia passing, she was diagnosed with uh, multiple sclerosis. And so, this year also, I said, well, instead of us just drinking around the world at Epcot, being fools, let's try to raise money for MS, right? And so now that's a, a fundraiser that we're going to do every year now, too. So, I, I think people don't realize that, you know, there's really crazy travel adventures out there that if you want to do it, do it, but... You'd be surprised with a little button on Facebook or a little blog post with a donate here button. You can raise some significant money um, to make a difference while you're just having fun along the way. You know, no different than people who raise money for, you know, 5Ks and marathons. Yeah, people say that travel is so selfish sometimes that, oh, you're just, you know, not, you're leaving your family to go travel or you're leaving, you know, you're having fun and we're here working, but it can be a great way to, to fundraise, you're right. It's very true, right? right? Yeah. There's been a lot of, I think, digital nomads, I think a lot of people now like using the word location independent because digital nomads have really kind of become so mainstream that the media and others have really latched onto the whole, digital nomads are selfish, they're self-absorbed, they come in, they gentrify, they gentrify a, a, a town like Chiang Mai, you know, they ruin things, you know, they come in, they take, they leave. Um, but I've really met a lot of folks that are digital nomads or location independent that want to kind of prove them wrong. And, 
and they do. And they do, right? Yeah, they give back in so many ways. Um, Well, I know that I've seen a few of our uh, fellow rickshaw people walking by us looking for our award ceremony that we need to go to. So yeah, we need to go and check that out. But I want to ask before we go, where can people find you if they want? I know you've said coworkaholic.com. Yeah. Um, yeah, coworkaholic.com. Is it the best place? Um, we're on Facebook, pretty active there. Instagram, we're always doing fun stories. Um, so Instagram's also coworkaholic. If you're a Twitter user, I'm not as good on Twitter. Um, Me neither. It's, it's a lot. <laughs> but if you, well, I, we are on Twitter too. It's at the coworkaholic. Um, and then if you're interested in, in podcasts um, and you're already listening, like I said, School of Travels, uh, Miles to Go. And um, now boarding, you can find them anywhere you can find podcasts, whether it be Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, you name it, any directory, we're there. Well, thank you so much, Mike. It's been great to meet you this week. Oh, it's been such a blast. I look forward to meeting you again. Should we do another rickshaw adventure? Well, (laughs) maybe take a break from rickshaw, but we need to do something adventurous. I'm ready to follow you to Disney Disney World. Please. I'm trying to figure out. Well, you're the Tokyo expert. Yes. I have never been to Tokyo Disney. Um, But to take the Disney Challenge up a level, I have in mind, this is probably going to be a 2020 goal, I want to do every single Disney park in the world in one week. I think you can do it. I think you're the kind of you're the kind of planner that could do this. Shanghai, (laughs) Japan, California, and Florida. Use the miles, baby. Right. Use the miles. (laughs) All right. Well, thank you so much. Well, thanks for having me. It's been a pleasure. I hope that you learned a lot from my interview with Mike and took a lot of notes during that episode because. There's so much to dive into in the world of not only co-working, once you start exploring spaces, and trust me, there are co-working spaces now seemingly around the world, so even if you're sitting in your hometown and you've never heard of a co-working space, you might just find one in your very own town, and you can go and check it out, see what kind of people are there. Maybe you might even make an unexpected connection like Mike described when he started working for Benji Madden. I am going to put all the links to what Mike mentioned for coworkaholic.com and the Twitter and Instagram accounts as well as Facebook. Also, we're going to put a link to the fund for Mattia Rouse. If you'd like to donate in Mattia's memory, he was a great champion for coworking, especially in Europe, as Mike described. Also, we're going to put links to Miles to Go and Now Boarding the podcast that Mike mentioned. Like always, I want to leave you with a travel quote. I looked for one this week, particularly relating to road trips, because I would say the road trip that Mike and I were a part of on the Rickshaw Challenge was perhaps the most memorable one I've ever been on in my life. And I don't know if future ones will ever come close to it, unless I decide to do another type of challenge by a similar company. This quote is by Victoria Erickson, and it says... Road trips are the equivalent of human wings. Ask me to go on one anywhere. We'll stop in every small town and learn the history and stories, feel the ground, and capture the spirit. Then we'll turn it into our own story that will live inside our history to carry with us always. Because stories are more important than things. I think that's one of the biggest takeaways from travel that I've had as well, is that you get so many stories by traveling that you'll remember for the rest of your life and you can share with people and they might even learn from it. And I always hope with this podcast that you are inspired by a story that someone shares. And I hope that 
Mike got to inspire you this week as well. So I hope that you have a great week. In the next episode, I'm going to be bringing you my interview with three Norwegians from one of the other teams on the Rickshaw Challenge. And spoiler alert, only two of them ended up talking in the interview, although the third one was in the room the whole time. So I hope that you tune in for that next week and have a wonderful week. Thanks for listening to the School of Travels podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, we'd love for you to subscribe and leave us a rating wherever you get your podcasts. Special thanks to The Sam Chase for allowing us to use their song, In a Perfect World. Don't forget to join us next week for another episode, and remember to always let travel be your teacher. If you keep your options open, there are places you will go. They will treat you like the kings and queens your parents thought you'd be when you were born. You'd see it all with your head up standing tall, and you'd look back and think it's funny how you spent your time and money.